Hello and welcome to The Wanderer, the Anglo-Saxon heathen podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to Graham Butcher. This is an interview done over Skype, so the audio may not be as good as it should be, but it's a very interesting um, interview. And Graham Butcher is one of the leading instructors in Stav. Now, Stav is a Viking martial art based on the runes, and Graham will be here to explain as much as he can about it to you, as well as answering a few questions. So, Graham, if you'd like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your art and yourself. My name's Graham Butcher. Um, I'm sort of um, 59 years old, which um, don't, really, don't really like talking about my age too much, but I think you need to know that because it sort of shows how much how long I've been around. Um, I've been into martial arts since I was a little teenager. I sort of discovered, you know, karate and whatever at about sort of 14, 15. In fact, I'm the, the generation that uh, saw the great boom in martial arts in the 19 sort of 70s when sort of Bruce Lee and then, you know, David Carradine did the sort of Bruce Lee Kung Fu series and everything like that. So I go right back to that period. Um, and I've never actually sort of lost the interest since. Um, and I've done all kinds of different martial arts when I was younger, um, including all the usual ones of, you know, Kung Fu, kickboxing, karate, whatever. Um, and then about uh, 25, 26 years ago, um, I met this chap called Ivar Haschewald, who had just come back from uh, Norway, where he'd been for 14 years. And he'd um, sort of grown up with a kind of family tradition of sort of body, mind, spirit training that was kind of the family education system. It's a lot more than just martial arts, but that was sort of part of it uh, in, in a remote part of Norway where the family had lived for generations. Uh, he married a Japanese woman in Norway, which is a long story in itself. Uh, when she had a baby, uh, was due to have their first child, she went back to her mother, which is a standard Japanese thing to do. And uh, Eva went out there to sort of, you know, be there for the birth and then stayed for another 14 years. And um, while he was there, he sort of discovered Japanese martial arts in Japan and sort of trained there. And he kind of realized that there was a sort of this family system had something to offer, but it never been really taught systematically. Um, and as he learned sort of how to teach and, you know, practice martial arts in a systematic, traditional way like they do in Japan, um, he kind of realized that the principles and uh, the ideas and the concepts um, that he'd kind of been taught as a, as a young man from his family um, could sort of form the basis of sort of, you know, modern martial arts training, but with this sort of traditional background. Yeah. Um, so when he, so he then came back to Europe and settled in back in Beverly, back very next door to where I live now, um, in um, in nineteen um, uh, in, in the early nineties. Um, I got to know him because he was featured in a uh, mainly because he was featured in a magazine, um, uh, Martial Arts Illustrated, uh, which was uh, quite a sort of no, hang on, is that right? Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, I've got the name of the magazine slightly wrong, but it was that sort of fairly high quality, glossy magazines we used to have in those days before everything went on the internet. Remember? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I read the article about him, got a substantial article, and I uh, thought this is somebody who's got something interesting, interesting to offer. Wasn't sure whether it was the Japanese training or the, you know, the, the, the European stuff. I didn't really know the, the difference of that. Well, I wasn't really sure what would be the most interesting about him. He just you know, had a lot to teach, which he did. Hmm. Uh, became his student for four or five years while I was living here. Uh, since then, I've sort of moved. I moved to Oxford, then to Somerset, and then fairly recently, I've sort of come back to the um, uh, to to uh, East Riding again. Right. 
And um, the, 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 we kind of developed the sort of staff training um, between us. Um, it is a fusion system in the sense that we're not going to pretend that, um, you know, that it's a sort of, well, people say, is it a Viking system? And we go, yeah, yeah, it's a Viking system. We go all over the place. We collect ideas. We'll trade them for you if you want. Otherwise, we'll just steal it. That's what Vikings did. And that's what we do. Absolutely. Um, I mean, all martial arts masters have stolen everything they can. That's how their systems became so good. Well, of course they do. Yeah, and I mean, I've always been, we've always been into that. I mean, Japan, either, you know, learned from everybody he could in Japan. Yeah. Uh, since I learned, I, I had a, quite a, a very varied background in martial arts before I met him. Hmm. Um, and then since then, I've kind of, you know, looked at working with the staff. Now, what do I teach? Um, well, the basis of staff is, um, it's, it literally means knowledge of the rune staves, which, you right. know, again, is a, Slightly, I mean, what's that got to do with martial arts? Well, very esoteric sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, the way I see it, having some knowledge of Chinese martial arts, that the the runes and the uh, the runes have the same place in um, uh, Northern European culture as the I Ching does in Chinese culture. Yes. Very broadly speaking. So therefore, if the sort of Chinese want to base a you know a martial arts system on the I Ching and on the uh, Pakwa and then all kinds of sort of symbolic animals and the animals of the uh, of the Japanese of uh, the Chinese zodiac and whatever, yes. then you know you kind of think, oh, well, that's fine that's an interesting basis for a martial art and in many ways the sort of star has got a very similar kind of basis and the runes provide you with the, the stances or postures that we work with okay. uh, and then all kinds of associations that you can then kind of build on you don't need them i mean mm. they're a way of seeing fundamental principles but fundamental principles are very hard to access without some sort of key to kind of let you in to see them of course you i well, mean you need a thorough understanding of a system to be able to put the principles into action Exactly. But when you sort of have, before you kind of have that understanding, you need kind of keys that sort of uh, open up the principles so you can recognise them. And once you recognise them, you don't need the key anymore. The door's already open. Um, but then you have to kind of create a new key for somebody else to mm. you know, open their version of it. Mm. So you know, that's really where it comes in. Um, right. we, can I ask you a question, Graham? Please, please do. Yeah. How easy or hard was it for you to transition from Eastern to uh, a Western martial arts style? Um, well, it, it wasn't – how do I put this exactly? Um, in my case, it, we didn't really sort of see it particularly in those terms at the time. Now, this is remember going back to the early 90s. So mm. there isn't really – I mean, you've got people like uh, Terry – Brown was sort of written, just written the English martial arts book and things like that. So there was a little bit of interest in sort of HEMA, but really it didn't exist. So we didn't really see it in those terms. Mm. Um, I didn't have any, I had very little knowledge of weapon training, uh, something I, I'd done a lot of unarmed combat, but I'd never done any weapon training. So I was kind of learning that from scratch. And we started off working with the Joe and the Bokken because that's what Ivar had trained with in, 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 um, in Japan. So that was completely new to me. Um, uh, the main point was we were learning to sort of work with the lines and cut with the lines, and also um, and then go through certain drills, which we would what we would teach what we would call the five principles. Right. So it was all sort of new to me. So it wasn't exactly yeah. a transition in that sense. It was a new okay. whole new area of martial arts training. Right. And what are those five transitions, Graham? Well, the five the, the five traditions or principles or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The the the, 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 the five principles are really are, are probably, the, if you like, the core of style in a way. Um, it, the, the, the five principles basically say, um, and these are sort of found in, in Norse mythology in the sort of in, in the stories of Norse mythology, uh, that um, there's five positions. There's a trail or slave position. Uh, 
um, principle, which is basically, this is not my problem, I'm, I'm, how do I get out of here? Right. The current principle, this is my space, how do I defend it? Uh, this is a uh, yeah, Asher or warrior principle, uh, I'm responsible for keeping order, how do I control this person? Uh, the Yarl principle, um, I need to manage this situation by an overview, just because someone's trying to kill me doesn't mean I can't focus on the overview. And the Konya principle basically says, well, if it's serious enough, then I will risk my life to make this happen or stop something happening, but I'd rather not. And if it isn't serious enough, I'll go back to the trail principle and just walk away. Right. Uh, I see now, you have names for for these five um, principles. Are they gradings? Uh, not exactly. Um, you, you could... You, you could sort of base it on, you know, you begin only learning the trail stuff and then you only learn the the, um, the, the Yarl stuff or Carl stuff and work your way up like that. But we, right. we, never, we haven't done it that way hmm. because um, you've got, um, I mean, they're basically states of mind. Yes. So really, I mean, the principle is then applied with tactics and the tactic for the, you know, for the trail principle often would be, I don't like the look at that person, I'm walking the other way. Right. I mean, you know, or it could be, you know, you're using an axe to sort of, you know, to, to stop an attack and then back mm. it off. Right. I mean, it could be, you know, there could be two extremes on that. Yeah. Um, but the, the essential, so every level of training, uh, we start off with the simplest training with the staff will go through five drills which reflect the five principles and each drill kind of lays the foundation for the next one in the right. sense that the, the movements um you know that you learn for on the on one level actually then provides the foundation for the next level and it kind of builds up from there and then you go on to a more advanced weapon system but still working with the five principles each time so how many weapons sorry Graham, how many weapons are there in your system uh well um we like one of the things we basically this, the sticks of about three to four different lengths is one way of looking at it. Right. So you have you've got a, you know the, the staff spear length weapon, uh, the sort of club, maybe a sword, but we would normally see it as an axe. Mm. Um, middle length weapon, uh, cudgel, which would be a one-handed stick, and then sort of the, then the time length, which would be a short stick, which could also be a knife or a dagger or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So, so the idea is that rather than saying, um, you know, we need this particular weapon to be able to train, it's like so long as I've got a stick, I can train and I can improvise a stick because Star isn't meant to be a system for using particular weapons because you know, if they're not available to you, then what do you do? Absolutely. Um, I mean, in our, in, in our particular system, we have uh, lots of stick weapons and bladed weapons. Mm. So really the principles of our system is whatever's there you can use. Yeah, I mean, I've watched sort of some of your stuff on video, and I mean, it's very much like it's not. It's not actually very dissimilar to what we do at all. Right. Um, it's just that we tend to um, keep it a little bit. We keep it fairly stylized because what we're looking right. at each time is to uh, is to look at the at working with the principle. But then, you know, if you pick up, I mean, I could pick up a, a pole axe or a pike or whatever or a, um, a bill hook, and then quickly, you know, use it according to the principles of staff. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's not a problem to do, um, but I prefer not to get myself locked into saying, well, I only use this weapon because if you give me something else, I can't actually do anything. Absolutely, yeah. The mark of a true uh, martial artist, as you mm -hmm. say, is mm -hmm. being able to use anything that's there. Mm -hmm. That's right, yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's why Eva was able to learn them, the school mm. system or perfected in Japan with the mm. uh, Japanese weapons. But then when he came back here, yeah. um, I was then able to say, well, what would happen if I use the European size staff instead of a Joe? What happens if I, yes. you know, if, if I, if I make a training axe instead of a, uh, a Bokken? And, um, you know, it was different, but the essential principles were the same. And, yeah. we were able to sort of, and that's when it became much more European in that right. sense. Yeah. So, Graham, you, you've probably done loads of your own research Mm -hmm. Because when people take up these martial arts, they like to read everything possible. Mm -hmm. In your own research, what did you find that you that you've added to your training for your personal self? Uh, right. Um, I mean, probably all kinds of things. But I mean, in, in as in sort of how my training sort of developed um, because of stuff I've read and yes, and yes. Uh, um, well. The, I do, I would say, I've got a, quite a reasonable, what I really try to do with the martial arts side is actually is to sort of simplify as much as possible. So I think the process of simplification has been important. But a couple of things I've learned that have been really useful. Um, one is the sort of the idea of the 80-20 principle or the um, Parapareto's law. Uh, are you familiar with that? I am, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm mean, that, actually basically, you know, eighty percent of the benefit comes from twenty percent of what you do. Yes. So when I'm teaching, I'm always trying to look for that twenty percent that's uh, that really brings the maximum benefit when people train it, so rather than just loading more and more and more stuff onto people or doing more and more training of my own until you've got no time and no energy left. Yes. Get older, if it's selective. Yeah. Um, I, I look for the the simplest um, and most appropriate drills that will bring me the maximum benefit. And when I'm teaching other people. Um, I, I, you know, I do the same for them. In the sense, I'm looking for the thing that will help them the most to okay. develop. And then when they've got to that point, they can do what they like with it. But you know, that's simplification. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The other, do you still hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you absolutely but, fine. Yeah, the network's not great apparently. <laughs> um, the um, the other thing that um, uh, that, that sort of I regarded was a bit of a revelation, which is um, a bit odd, but I found it really helpful is that um, as a martial arts instructor, I mean, you feel some responsibility for teaching self-defense. I mean, it's mm. part of what you do rather than the whole thing. But I mean, you feel some responsibility for making sure that you teach people self-defense. Yes. And obviously you'll get some people saying to you, well, you know, if you teach me some self-defense or give me some advice on self-defense, people will actually learn martial arts, but you know, I want that. Mm. And something that sort of I've done training with I did a um, Jeff Thompson's masterclass series a few years ago, which was yeah. very And I've trained with um, Mark McYoung as well, and, and various other people. Good, but good, my most very good teachers. Lesson um, was um, actually getting having a pea hen or you know a female peacock uh, live in our garden for a while, <laughs> and realising that although it's a very not a very bright creature, they have a really sophisticated way of um, being aware, um, keeping safe distance, um, only roosting when they when things are safe, and sort of taking drastic action if they get cornered or get really frightened. Yes. And I kind of made that the basis for teaching people the very first level of self-defense training, um, uh, which kind of fitted in with everything I've learned from people like uh, Jeff Thompson and yeah. everything else. But it's kind of a very accessible way of, of sort of teaching people stuff without getting them into, you know, well, you need to learn a bit of martial arts to, to defend yourself. It's much more that actually it's just an attitude of mind. Even a really simple animal can sort of do that. Absolutely. What I found, yeah, what I found is that teaching awareness is a much more effective thing than than teaching physical technique. So you're, you're 
breaking up a bit. Oh, sorry. I said what I said. What I find is teaching awareness is much is a much better thing than teaching technique sometimes. Uh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Can you still hear me? Okay, I can't yeah. hear you very well. I can hear you absolutely fine. Oh, yeah. I think you're back again now. You must. Yeah, okay. lovely. <laughs> sorry, I lost, your, lost, your, lost your, you. Were, you were breaking up for a while. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. If you, if you look around you, Graham, you see uh, quite a big uh, scene now for the Western martial arts. Mm. Uh, what, are you, what are your impressions of the current state of the Western martial arts and historical European martial arts community? Um, well, I mean, there's some great people involved doing some really fascinating stuff. But I mean, I've you know I've been I haven't been to fight camp last year, but I mean I've been to, I was spent to fight camp several years. Um, I'm going to uh, the um, art that adorns you this next weekend and stuff. So I mean, there's some great people doing some fascinating stuff, and I mean they've done amazing research and whatever. Um, my two my my issues around it, um, where I sort of feel a bit peripheral on it, is um, there's a very wide, uh, very it's very very fencing based and competition based, and I think that's you know fine as far as it goes, but I mean it it's become very sort of geared in that direction um and i think that's a bit of a uh, an unbalanced focus there's not right. really enough uh, enough interest in the genuine sort of principles of combat which right. um uh, i think is a bit neglected mm. uh i also feel there's a little bit too much um again a, what's the word emphasis on equipment and uh you know whether it be sort of swords, you know, uh, safety equipment and all that sort of stuff, which yes. again you kind of need if yes. you want to do the sparring. But again, I don't think you're learning the essentials from that. Yes. And then the last point is I just don't, I don't think that, again there's enough emphasis on the essential principles of body mechanics, uh, structure, uh, working with the lines, um, and then work, being able to sort of manifest the kind of principles that we we look at. I agree with that because yeah. Yeah. anything that is going to work. Mm. needs to be practiced in a way that's realistic. Mm. And if 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 you're more sport oriented then it doesn't always work like that because you're not worried about taking hits on this part as long as you can get a hit on the other person on that part which in a real situation you couldn't afford to do. Absolutely uh, not. And I think the other thing that bothers me is that um the reason we don't really do sparring um apart from the fact we're too mean to buy the kit etc um <laughs> is yeah, to be honest, I mean, well, I will say that probably true but I mean, but it's too it, bloody expensive well it is and I think again you get dependent on it and um it doesn't equip you for you know the unexpected situation when you're not wearing it um but, it. More, but more fundamentally um and I was going back to what I was saying about the five principles is that um in a you know, if you're having sparring, it's basically a kind of safe dueling, and the assumption is that it's to some degree or other a fair fight. Mm. Uh, but in real life, um, if two people are in conflict, um, they don't have the same objectives. So if my your objective is to rob me and my objective is to not be robbed, then that's not a competition. That's me avoiding you doing something to me or vice versa. Um, if I'm defending space, my defense of the space is a very different thing to your attempting to attack the space. That's or it. Whoever it is. And therefore, when we're training for that sort of thing, you know, if you if you do have. Um, you know, this training, and I think this is one of the big problems with martial arts of all kinds, whether Western or Eastern, is that there's so much emphasis on sparring and fighting that when people get into a situation, they think, oh, I now need to fight. Well, no, you don't. No. You need to decide what your, what your priority is here and then do what it takes to fulfill that priority. And it might just be a, just close the door and lock it, might be the same. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. I work, I, I still do, but I worked um, on the doors and 
I find that talk is is a much better weapon than actually mm. getting physical because if you get physical, there's so many factors that then come into it. They're friends, um, you know, the police, yeah. everything. But if you yeah. can talk to someone and get yeah. them to see sense, it, it's much more effective. Exactly, and having that. But if you if you know that you if it does go pear shape, you can handle yourself. Then yeah. you can then you can have that conversation. But you know, I always tell people my first you know rule of self defence is if it's got to the point where you're hitting somebody, you yeah. something's gone seriously wrong. Absolutely, uh, you know, and I mean seriously wrong because um, you know if you're a, like if you're a, you know a teenager and you get into a scrap, it probably doesn't matter. No. But when you're you know a grown man, um, you know you've got to take responsibility for these things. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So what do you, what do you see? Graham, Graham, what do you see as the? F- Sorry, Graham, um, what do you see as the future for Starve? Sorry, I didn't get that. You're breaking up again. Okay, uh, what do you see as the future for Starve? What do I see the future of it as? Yes. Um, well, I've been, um, I've been, I've been doing. Uh, I've got a. Well, what do I say about it? Um, I've got a reasonable sort of following, um, and I'd sort of like to sort of build that up. Um, I've been doing more work with the sort of more esoteric side of things, with the sort of mythology and the sort of more cultural aspects, and there's quite a lot of people interested in that, and they'll often do a bit of martial arts as part of it, but Mm. I'm getting quite a lot of feedback to say that people want to explore more of that side of things, and I'm sort of developing means of teaching that. Um, As far as the sort of the martial arts side is concerned, um, I think there's still two things that we can kind of offer. I mean, one is that if people want to get into starve and, um, you know, learn the stances and then learn the drills that we use for training and the terminology we use and everything, then that's great. And quite a lot of people do like that. What we also have to offer is the fact that we can teach um, essential principles of uh, martial arts training and sort of structure um, and say so what we're working with the lines of the web, so you actually sort of the some lines that are effective and some lines that aren't, and that's something that is more if takes quite a bit of learning. Um, also, the idea of action, intention, and movement that really all martial arts techniques and applications can be analysed according to um, what's your intention and how do you express that between action and movement, right. and that's. It sounds really obvious, and yet I, I see an awful lot of people who can't really do that. You know, mm. they put a lot of emphasis into hitting, but they don't when they really should be moving, or vice versa. Absolutely. Um, and the third thing is also getting people to understand the five principles. I mean, I have to call it the names we use, call it whatever you like. But again, if you're into dealing with combat situations, um, you know, we, we can sort of teach you how to use those principles, and then you can incorporate those into your own training, and that's. Again, I think something that would be really useful. So I'd like to see. I mean, I have had some opportunities to share this stuff, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I think it'd be nice to have more. Um, so it's uh, a lifestyle, yeah. really. So it's a lifestyle rather than just a hobby of martial arts. Yes, I, I would say that. I mean, again, it's kind of um, different degrees of it because um, I mean, Ingvar is, is, is Scandinavian, Norwegian. Uh, he's got quite a lot of students in in sort of uh, Sweden and Denmark, and I've been over there and sort of trained with them and, and sort of taught them. But they kind of they see it as very much connecting them with their history and their culture and their um, ancestors almost. Um, and yet, as, a, as an English person, um, you know, it, it's kind of, I don't have that same connection to it. So no. it's a normal way of life, a philosophy of life. But you know, it still means a lot to me. Um, but I wouldn't protect. You know, it doesn't make me a Scandinavian. You know, because I just because I do it. Of course not. No. Yeah. No. So for the last question, Graham, um, yeah. do you see 
starve as being part of the HEMA community or something completely separate? Uh, um, it's in, I, well, I mean, I, that's really for other people to judge, isn't it, in a sense, you know. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we, we do what we do, and um, I, I'm happy to train with, with anybody. Um, I, I, it's, it is a bit different because um, there does seem to be this thing about HEMA that it has to be reconstructed. And, you know, if it isn't reconstructed because you've actually got a living tradition, then, um, you know, it isn't, doesn't really quite count as HEMA. Um, quite sure where that idea has come from, but it, it seems to be the definition these days. And, yes, we don't really fit in with that. Um, I think the other problem, funny thing, that what HEMA is also doing is, I mean, again, I've been around martial arts for, you know, 45 years now um and when i was a you know teenager and 20s i mean if you trained in one style and one school um teachers tended to get very kind of defensive about um you training with other people and uh, yes. you know our style is the only one that works and if you go and train with them well we don't want to talk to you anymore and this yes. sort of stuff yeah. and it all got quite it used to get quite unpleasant sometimes then yes. you had a period where it was like, oh, all martial arts are the same, so we just mix and match everything. Mm-hmm. And now it's got a stage where people are in the, you know, they're very conscious of their heritage and the martial art they work with, but they're also saying, well, of course, we don't, we're not very good at grappling, so go and do a bit of BJJ, or we're not very good at kicking, so you might like to try a couple, you know, do train with, with a, you know, Taekwondo or whatever it is, or one of those weapons, they go and do some stuff, you know, I mean, we get that. Yes. So, in the, so, in the, so in the general martial arts community, you know, I find that, you know, people are happy to accept staff what it is, and if we can give them something great, and if they can share something, that's great. Yes. And HEMA seems to be through a period, which I hope won't last very long, of being very purist about, well, you know, it's all in the old books. It's almost quite funny, as a, as a Christian and a sort of someone with a background in theology, it's quite <laughs> fun to be a martial artist. Mm-hmm. It's also keen on, you know, the books, and the, the truth is all there in the books, and how the problems you know, I find that rather funny because, you know, the church has sort of been a lot more open-minded about textual stuff than the, than the martial arts community. <laughs> yeah. um, and the, um, the the thing is that I, I think that sort of humour is going through this period of being very purist, and I we kind of refuse to fit into that. We're, we're you know, we're a Viking system. We, we go anywhere. We'll learn from anybody. We'll share with anybody. We'll trade with anybody. We'll steal from anybody. Um, and therefore, I think that I'd like to think I enjoy training in a human environment and I've got some very good friends who, who do it and I work with them um, and I'm very happy to share what I know in that context um, but I've got this feeling that this rather purist sort of element of it um, isn't kind of too well disposed to us sometimes but when I get to know people personally uh, and talk to them personally even if they're not at all sure about staff once they've got to know me and work with me a bit they're usually fine you know? yeah Absolutely. It takes someone to know you properly before they can make a proper judgment about you and what you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, actually, because, I mean... Yeah, go ahead. How did you form... I mean, you've been very kindly had, you know, having this conversation now. I hope that we can sort of meet and get to know each other sometime. That would be great. Um, but it would be great. But, I mean, you did sort of... Uh, you've had a kind of rather, um, should we say, a negative sort of view of staff. I wonder what, what formed that. I, I'd be quite curious to know... How that got formed, how you formed that judgment? Well, um, years and years ago, I used to do jujitsu. All right. And when Star first came out, it looked like jujitsu being mm. called a different name. Mm. But now I know different. Yeah. So I've changed my mind. Yeah. Okay. And the okay. thing about the thing about mm. it was, 
is because jiu-jitsu was such a um, a system that went back hundreds and hundreds of years, and mm. I was doing jiu-jitsu, I felt a bit miffed that mm. someone was taking something I do and calling it something else. Mm. But over the years, now I'm talking about the, uh, I don't know, maybe the early 90s maybe, and mm. um, and since then I've learned a lot more about a lot more, and now I know. I, I don't have hold that view anymore. Yeah. We've never, I mean, we've never sort of denied the, you know, the, the linear, the, how it, you know, developed, and the fact that Ivar needed to get that training in, you know, those Japanese arts to get it right. Yeah. Um, and you know, so in a way, your observation was quite correct in a sense, but mm. it was, you know, um, yeah, I see. That's what. That's fair enough. I just, that actually explains why, you, what the attitude, why, you, why you felt the way you did about it. Yeah. yeah. yeah but I like to think we've done something with that knowledge that's um you know that, that's that, that's special and unique and we're not just pretending to do one thing we're really doing something yeah. else Listen, yes. absolutely I, I feel that arts like starve and a lot of things like that they're yeah. original yeah. mixed martial arts systems yeah. mm. because they do take um a lot of really good stuff mix it yes. together and make it their own you're breaking up again i'm not hearing that very clearly i said uh, what what i think that um arts like starve yeah. They take things, they mix them up, they make them their own, yeah. and they turn yeah. them into really good martial systems. Yeah, well, that's what I think we've done. I hope so, anyway. Yeah. And I the think. thing about Starve is, as well, it's got a good theory behind it. Yeah. And and that's what makes uh, a martial art sometimes. You, you can't just have the physical. You have to have the theory yeah. and the thought behind why you're doing these things. Yeah. I mean, I always take the attitude. It's not – I mean, you know, there's a lot of teachers who are – physically very very good at what they do but mm. they what they i mean that's fine they're great to, you know it's showing other people stuff and doing stuff but they don't necessarily help other people to develop as, as absolutely not because you know mm. all they're doing is showing how clever they are yes you know, yeah yeah the yeah. thing is it's very hard to be a teacher sometimes uh, yeah it's a challenge <laughs> yeah you have to learn to be a teacher and there's certain aspects and you have to have patience, etc., because yes. some people learn at different speeds to others. Uh, and it's, and it's a very, it's a very difficult situation sometimes to find yourself in. I'm sure you found that as a teacher. Yeah. Um, but do I, do you, do you find though that, um, the, the people who can come in who are sort of very athletic and can learn really fast are actually the, the most difficult ones to teach because they'll kind of imitate what you do quickly and then they just get bored. Yes. Whereas, whereas and not only that, Graham, they I, I get people coming in that already think they know everything. Yeah, whereas the people who actually have to struggle with it at the beginning yes. are the ones who actually get the furthest because they, they develop the dedication and the focus to keep going. Yeah. Absolutely. They become the teachers. Yeah. And they do, don't they? Yeah. They do, yes. Very much so. Mm. Okay, Graham. Okay. Right, that was brilliant. Thank you very much for taking the time to um, for the interview for the podcast, and I really, really appreciate it. And hopefully, one day we can meet up and do some training together. Yeah, we must do that. Yeah. Well, that's. I'm really grateful to you for the opportunity. Thanks very no much. No worries. Yeah. No worries, okay. Graham. Any time. Okay. Thank you Thanks very much, Graham. Thank you. See ya. See you. Bye. That was Graham Butcher of Staff. Sorry about the quality of the audio, but over Skype. That sometimes happens. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tune in next time. Thank you.